Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to So You Want to Be in Ministry. I'm Tim, and I'm excited about what God's going to do today uh, through this podcast and in your life, and just even challenging us and teaching us, because we are all about educating you if you're thinking about jumping into ministry, equipping you if you're already in, and encouraging you if you're considering jumping out because you're just hitting a discouraging season. But we're also about empowering you to follow godly leaders. So if if you if ministry is just not something you're necessarily pursuing for full time, but you want to know how to follow godly leaders well, we want to deal with that too. Uh, so those are the aspects that we try to deal with every single episode. And uh, today we continue in our series, Planning a Weekend. Now, it would be really difficult to stay on the same page as an entire staff if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish as a church and filter everything through. And so you've heard different aspects and ministries of our church, but you've probably heard threads of very similar vocabulary, very similar mindset, and that's because of the framework we work through within uh, our church. And we call it the transcendent framework. I use, you're going to hear it in here in just a second. I used the word model early on. That was a mistake because it really isn't a model. We don't like this isn't how we build our church. This is the filter we use to decide if our if we should even do this as a church. And so it is a framework. It's not a model. Uh, Seth corrects me very early on. And today I get to have my pastor, Seth Connerly, on the podcast. Uh, he is an amazing man of God. I have grown incredibly healthy as a pastor as a result of him. My previous pastor, he's been on the podcast. You can go back. He was my first interview, Jim Grant. He laid the foundation, and he he built some stuff back into me that uh, gave me the opportunity to be the pastor that Jesus was trying to form me into. And then I would say Seth has built on that foundation and taken it to a whole nother level that uh, it's been, frankly, impressive to watch what God's done in my life under his leadership. So uh, I think you're going to get the same kind of impact. I think this is going to be really challenging and maybe even enlightening to understand uh how you can approach things biblically within a church, you can use it as a framework and get to God moments with people because it's a whole point. We want people to have moments with God. That's why we do what we do is we want them to have moments with God. So enough of me talking. Let's get into this interview with Seth Connerly. Well, hey, Seth, welcome to the podcast. Finally, uh, finally worked this out and got you on it. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Thanks for being here today. Oh, yeah, man. Glad to be here. Uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, a big reason why is because I've seen how it uh, has really transformed how we've navigated as a church and probably even me as a pastor and seeing life change happen. And so uh, I'm I'm looking forward to this happening, you talking to us and sharing the vision at Metro Community Church. So kind of give us the lead up. What led to you even landing with this model and this idea? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not a model. That's, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a, you know, I knew you're going to do that when I said yep. that word. So yep. I switched it to idea. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, not a model. And I'll, you'll, you know, I'll layer it out here in a second as to why, but definitely framework framework uh, there you or, go. or a filter. Uh, those are probably the two most uh, appropriate words for kind of what it, what it's turned into. But anyways, uh, yeah. So we've, we've got a very specific way that we go about doing church and we've been developing over the course of the last couple of years. And it's, it's been birthed out of just my observations over the course of what really amounts to my whole ministerial career. And then even, you know, beyond that and just being a church member, um, you know, before I stepped into vocational ministry even, and, and just perceptions of the ebbs and flows of the way 
kind of church has uh, developed over time, uh, for better or worse, at different moments, right? And uh, and so what I what, what I realized was is that I had seen some different things come and go. I had seen certain things that worked once upon a time and things that stopped working perceptively and then new things that started working and then here recently have stopped working. And then uh, I noticed that there was a number of ways people were responding, but I didn't see but a handful of places really in the you know continental U.S. that were seeing anything that perceptively was working. And, and I looked at those and was healthy. You know, I think those two need to be very clearly established this together because just because something is perceptively working doesn't mean it's healthy and or biblical or right so it's like all these things in view so what and I, so I was like what are they doing and by conjunction what are others missing so i'll go back to what i've kind of really realized one thing i've always learned uh, and the way i've learned and the way i've processed things and it's the way i've stepped into any church i've worked at or anything is i go man we can learn so much from what got us here so what what led to us getting here? Because that can at least tell us, okay, these are the factors. And it could also tell us what didn't work and what might perceptively work or what our shortcomings were. So what I did was is I, I wanted to look at kind of short-term history of, uh, you know, Western American church, right? So that we're talking like the last, I'm not even going short-term in the last hundred years. Like we're talking like the last 50 to 60 years of church really in America. And, and what is that? looked like and so the answer is a lot of different things um and and specifically i was looking at kind of uh protestant evangelicalism all of that and then just the different ways that that has manifested and what i realized is was that models different models were what became prevalent now the irony is is the first one i'll talk about is is what we would now call in many instances a more traditional model which is incredibly ironic and superfluous title reason being is that something being deemed traditional is holistically framed by its proxy and positioning in time right so like if you went to the axe church and told them what i'm about to describe as traditional <laughs> they would be like that's the most over-the-top crazy thing we've ever heard what are you even talking about traditional like that's like so far out there right and so for us, it, you know, we've got to come up with different terminology because traditional by its very nature is this idea of like, ah, just, you know, whatever. Right. So uh, what I'm talking about is what became the way so many churches were functioning all the way back in like gracious. I mean, some of these started as early as probably a 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, you know, 1950s, 60s and 70s, where you began to see, uh, you know, the first even mega churches ever emerge yeah. uh and in that what you saw happening was is you saw people who were stepping to churches um who were making relational connections all these kinds of things you you saw choirs become you know uh very organized and well developed you saw orchestras interestingly enough starting to be a very prevalent thing certainly in churches that were tethered to be more of a mega church you you know big huge sprawling auditoriums and and even big huge sprawling auditoriums i want to be careful there they all looked about the same like if yeah. your auditorium was like 250 or if it was 1500 they looked very similar um you know cascading wooden pews whether or not you just had two with a center aisle or you had four with three aisles was really just the predicator 
you had, you know, shag carpet stairs that went up. <laughs> you typically had a, you know, a, a huge wooden cross type podium or fiberglass, one or the other. Uh, you had either a, a bunch of live plants if you had a lot of budget money or you had a bunch of fake plants if you didn't have the amount of time. Right. So just all but you had flags um, that, you know, it just all of this was progressively developmental based on the you know size and, and uh, influence of your church. Right. So you would have any level of this potentially, um, you know, I, so what 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 carpet color was your church growing up? Mine was orange. I would have to go back to the original one. So we went into a building project and then we were most of my junior high through high school years. We were in the whole setup, tear down in a gym situation. Ah, okay. And we were doing the whole like we were in doing phases of the okay. building project. So yeah. phase one was the like we're just going to be in the gym. But phase two would be the main you know worship yeah. center that would be developed. Um, and I didn't quite make it to phase two. I graduated before we got there. But I'm trying to remember what it was. In the first, I feel like it was a baby blue, maybe was okay. what the carpet yeah. was in yeah. the first one that we were in. Yeah. Uh, up until I, from the time I was probably like five till the time I was eleven or twelve. Yeah. Um, we went uh, orange to like a lighter forest green, like it was. It had like this mixture that made it feel lighter. But yeah, that's yeah. that was ours. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and even in what I'm describing, we were in a down. So this is a church I grew up in. We were in a downtown setting, and then we the church grew and expanded, and then we were going to build this big giant setup west of town where the the town was developing and, and growing. And um, but the the aesthetic, even though time had passed greatly, the layout was darn near identical. It was just a matter of it expanding in size. Uh, and so, yeah, so, you know, you got that, you've got the, the baptismal up above kind of the choir loft with the, the half glass where you can kind of halfway see, you know, all these things. Right. And I don't know if anybody else like me, you had like the, the hanging microphones or the Bob Barker microphone in there that I was always petrified was going to shock somebody. I don't know yeah. how they grounded that bad boy, but you know, I was always concerned you had the Easter time, right? Easter, a big holidays you would do the whole like marching in of flags depending on which you know church you went to we didn't do that <laughs> oh we did it man we had custom flags made that said all the names of god and like all this other stuff um you had your like every single time there was something that was america specific and today i think this would i'm shocked this hasn't made just a massive resurgence with the way things are lining up today but like every time it was america you know like color guard come in and like all this kind of stuff um what else did we have you had the singing christmas tree or the just the oh. same christmas pageant or the live nativity like every year like all these things and hear me I, I, and i'm not disparaging any of these things i loved every bit of it i loved every bit of it from start to finish uh look back on it with great fondness uh, i was a shepherd in that live nativity every year uh got pooped on by sheep while i was walking down the aisle <laughs> to bring the, the lambs down to baby jesus um true story uh and the, you know all these things great stuff um, you also saw this, like, we're just going to offer everything for people. We're going to have programming every night of the week. You know, if somebody walks up in our church and goes, I have a heart for this and I want to start a ministry, we're like, well, then it's, we, it's, it's a thing. It started, you know. I've served in a church where it was a quilting ministry was a thing, and they had entire sections of the church where it was just giant, uh, you know, uh, fabric rolls. And just it looked like an assembly line when I walked in that place the first time. And the ministry they were doing with this quilting stuff, I mean, just – probably 30, 40 ladies getting after it. Um, 
the you know you, you have a, a gymnasium in it or you have like an actual workout gym people can come to you might have an active working functioning coffee shop or or cafe that during the week even is open i met a guy this week who i was kind of walking through and processing this and he pointed out to me in today in the continental us there's a church like this that has a marine biologist on staff because they have an aquarium a full aquarium in their church like you can look it up it's, i don't remember where it was at but uh, he showed me pictures and it was awesome is the short answer so i was <laughs> i was like this is this is not a halfway done deal like this is a full-fledged aquarium wow. um so uh anyway so all that's the thing and that model i kind of and this is nobody else has really called it this but i i call this it's called the i call it the we offer everything model like if there's something that can be offered and experienced in life we want it to be something we offer and we offer all the time and that offering is something that additionally um is like we offer everything just shy of housing like you can do everything here but live and sleep but we got everything else we got the food we got the you know i mean every wednesday night you had dinner together you know you had that and then you had prayer meeting or you had your you know, i had children's choir i had high school choir i had youth group i had like i mean just all the things and that is that was the model that was the way to go about it and it's just what you did but then something happened in literally kind of the turn of the century like you hear like you know mid late 90s and then going into early 2000s and a lot of those churches who were doing that either at a really big scale and doing a lot of those bells and whistles that I, I just listed or had a version of that that was much more scaled back mm -hmm. um but still had had inklings of that right in just the way you did that you, much of this is still doing um even worship through hymns it's a sunday school structure still very lecture style teaching on sunday or wednesday night um you know uh that kind of stuff right uh th those things uh began to for lack of better terminology just cease to engage people in such a way that they remained a part of the church and the back door of the church got blown wide open and people just started pouring out and um and it didn't work and so what occurred was is you had one of two things happening you had people who were a just you know uh, well i'd say one of three things really a people who were just adrift spiritually or in their faith b people who were going well then what do we need to do to solve this and c people who went well every, we just we know this is good and we like it so like we're just going to double triple down and say everybody else is wrong uh you know and we like this at the end of the day, that's kind of where the rubber was hit the road is we we like this. And and that's, you know, kind of where some of the problematic ideology, you know, occurs. And and I would say that even in this next model I'm going to present, that's also part of the issue. And so what occurred was is you had a shift that happened where people went, okay, well, what was going on? Well, what I just described, if you begin to break it down, is what rhythmically we do as churches and have done for centuries, quite frankly is that that model was an insider-focused model. It was all about the people that you've gotten and what they want and what they like. You know, if you've got a ministry, hey, like that you think's a thing, we're just gonna do it. We don't, whether or not it, it aligns with who we are as a church, um, what we feel called to, you just said it. And because of that, we're gonna, we're gonna do it. Now, the problem with that is, is that over time, you have so many ministerial offerings that the sheer volume of human capital you need to do that well is mind boggling, yeah. um, let alone staffing. Uh, and so if for any reason, people cease to engage, the whole thing begins to go belly up because you now offer a billion things and you offer them with a great level of mediocrity. 
And people just have very little tolerance for that, especially in a context of you're trying to touch point with them other things that they have already in their life. They already go to a gym somewhere else as an offering that the world offers. They've already got basketball programs and things that are offered elsewhere. They always did this. And the idea that with poor staffing, you're going to be able to keep up with the way that those are offered elsewhere is laughable. You're just not going to. And so you then had this turnaround where that complex church model got uh, you know turned around for what became the movement of simple church model. Uh, and, and that book just, you know, swept churches of like, Hey, let's stop doing, um, you know, a whole bunch of things. Okay. And let's do, and this is where you go. The kind of good to great book as well as like, let's take the things that were, instead of just doing a, a lot of things, good, let's do a few things. Great. And so it's this focus ideology around the way you're going about church. And so you then shifted into, let's do not Sunday school necessarily. Let's do small groups in homes. Um, you saw, the many of those churches I just described were already in this tension between this idea of what was uh, traditional worship, which once again is is a proxy term to time, versus contemporary worship, right? And you even had many churches splitting over this kind of stuff because you were creating churches within churches where not only were you like going this, we're going to do a different service elsewhere that you know is uh, a different type of worship. We even going to have a different pastor preach and lead in that and everything. And I, I, I worked at a church there years ago that did that. And the church just effectively split over it, uh, you know, in that regard, because it was, it was two churches in the same building at the end right. of the day. Yeah. Uh, and so those tensions resulted in what became either a through splits or B through people planning new churches and going, we got to do something different. This new wave of you know contemporary whatever that was uh, brought in through the lens of and this is where so you you know people listening will kind of see where i'm going this idea of let's reach the disconnected let's look to the outsider let's look to people who are outside of our walls and let's ask the question what is it going to take to get them in here uh, and create an environment that they feel uh, they can connect with. Uh, that's where things like when, you know, Life Church is a great example of one that was just blew up in the wake of this. Um, Willow Creek uh, out of Chicago, you've got uh, North Point out of Atlanta. Like I can just go down the list of these huge churches. Um, and and with that, uh, you, you see just these, it works, like it works. It connects with people. And these churches are just exploding all over the place. Um, and uh, there's, you know, a lot of really powerful things happen. People come to know Jesus left and right. I mean, just like the amount of people that are getting saved and baptized is mind boggling. Um, but the previous, you know, individuals who are adherent to that previous model or any sort of traditionalism that came before that. So any tiered version of that previous model, right? Doesn't matter if you're a church of a hundred or if it's a church of, you know, 2000 or plus, right? It's, it's same ideology. They would look at this new model, which got deemed the attractional model because you're having to attract people in. Yeah. And they began to scrutinize pretty heavily a lot of things that were being done, right? So like one thing that was being done in those models is, is like you try to remove anything that is overly spiritual in such a way that could be perceptively alienating right so you don't say we're going to worship now you say we're going to uh you know sing you don't say it's the worship center you say it is the auditorium um you know you don't um you don't use big theological words at all because you know you're alienating the people in the room that are uh far from god you don't uh you know all these things right you just you, yeah. you, you steer clear of uh, of a lot of that you the the 
sermons got criticized of being glorified TED Talks and, and, and ceased to feel like they were uh, biblically driven in many respects. And, and, and topical preaching was uh, the name of the game. And, and so they were accused of eisegesis over exegesis and just all these things, right? So like all this, whatever. But at the same time, those people are going, well, I don't know what to tell you. You have you baptized what like maybe two people and it just happens to be kids of people in your church over the last year and we baptized you know over a hundred so I don't know what to tell you other than you know look at the numbers on the board and that was kind of the mentality it was very numbers driven very you know motivated in that way and then you also saw a lot of really weird stuff happening in leadership over the course of that time where um the the sheer amount of explosive growth um meant that the gravitational pull towards leaders who were both very charismatic in their personality and very competent in what they were capable of accomplishing and doing from a vocational standpoint began to just see incredible success but nowhere along the way was anybody pausing long enough to ask the question of does their character and their care uh, is it staying in in rhythm with that and so you had all these similar churches just absolutely blowing up later down the road. That's why we had, you know, Rise of Fall on Mars Hill podcast. That's why Hillsong's had a bazillion, you know, documentaries about them and all the stuff they've dealt with. Uh, and you can just go to the list. If you go down to, and people may not even remember this, but there was a thing a number of years ago called the Elephant Room where, um, yeah. uh, where all of these huge name pastors came together and it was like, we're going to talk about the elephant in the room, which is all the different things we believe or the way we go about stuff. And they just, and it's, every, it's like every big name person from that time. And if you look at that room, there's only like three people left who are even in ministry. Yeah. Um, and it's all for those things I just described. Uh, and, and so this, th there was an a imbalance in leadership also that was at play. So you've got all these things going on. And so what we did was, is we did this massive swing from an insider focus to an outsider focus, right? So it's this, just instead of doing anything that was perceptibly balanced or whatever, we went, well, if this wasn't working, then obviously the opposite's going to work. And so we swung the pendulum. Um, and so what's happening today, which is very interesting, is, is that, uh, and, and obviously shallow church was the thing that was, you know, indicted against that, all that kind of stuff, is we've seen that that doesn't work either. Uh, in the years leading up to COVID, and then COVID in particular just killed it. Yep. Um, that stuff's not working anymore. Yep. Uh, attractional model doesn't work. Um, you can't be so relevant and awesome. And those were also the ones, right, that you like. And we even did this at our church uh, that, you know, that Metro, we were very much would be described as that. We had a Willow Creek or a North Point model. Like that would have been like really what we were trying to do early on. Um, and hear me, like, and let me pause and say this weirdly about my career and my just life in church, I have been a part of every church I just described. And I've worked yep. at every church I just described. So every I. single one. Yep. So have I. Which is real weird. That's not normally the case. Typically people kind of choose one type of stylistic or, or ministerial approach church and they just kind of in perpetuity. And I didn't really strategically go, I want to do that. God just kind of, you know, put me in those. I was, you know, my first gig was in a church plant that was a setup teardown in like a ballroom at a four-year university that went on to to do a building out in the country right so like we went from like a downtown setting of that to the country and became a country church um you know the the next church i worked at was a huge attractional model church the church i grew up in though was that we offer everything model church i just described a few minutes ago like that, that was all of it like everything right i mean we met in the gymnasium so you better believe we had some upward bas basketball and awana going like crazy right yeah. 
Um, you know, so you had those. I worked in another church that uh, in North Carolina that was absolutely that model as well, and it wasn't working. And and they were trying to figure out how to to turn things around in that regard. And it was a church where they had done the two different kind of churches in one building and it split over it and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and then I you know I came to Metro and Metro very much uh, an attractional model church by any any measurable. And here's the thing I want to say to anybody who's listening to this and they're going, well, man, that's my church. Yeah, that's all of the, that's all of them. Like you like, that's, we've all been worked at and been a part of that. And hear me in every version of that church, I do not disparage the heartbeat of so many people. Um, God's really challenged me in recent days on understanding what faithful ministry looks like devoid of a, a, a stylistic or model that people choose, right? Um, however, what I think that we've landed with at Metro, and that's why I said it's not a model, it, it's a framework and it's a filter. And, and I believe that it's something that is applicable and scalable in any version of what I just described. Correct. Uh, you've yeah. got to figure out who you are and who your church is and how this filter affects what, when, where, and why you do anything. Uh, and, and that's, that's kind of how this comes into effect. So what occurred next was, is that in the wake of this, people went, okay, well, nothing's working, right? Tractional doesn't work. So it, outsider doesn't work. Insider doesn't work. Traditional stuff doesn't work. We offer everything doesn't work. What do we do? Well, some people went, well, we're just going to double, triple down on what we do. And it's that whole, like, well, you don't like it. Well, I'm going to do it harder. Like, you know, and like, nobody, nobody was like, awesome. It's working. Like, no, it made it worse. <laughs> Other people went the, what I call the broccoli method where they're like, you know what, you're going to take this broccoli. I'm going to shove it down your throat and you're going to, you're going to hate it, but you're going to thank me later. Like it, you know, <laughs> so that that's a method. The other method that I've seen a lot of is we don't know what the mess we're doing. We're just going to throw stuff at the wall and hope something sticks. Yep. Um, another method is we're just going to give up and we're just going to kind of just coast and, you know, you know, pray Jesus comes back real soon. Like, I don't know. Like there's just all this, there's, it's a lot of weird ambiguity. And I saw nobody in a focused effort figuring out what's going on and deciding what does it look like to walk forward and see God show up in powerful ways. And so I began to see him doing that in certain churches. And I began to see a lot of common things that were showing up specifically I saw, and this word I talk about a lot, and I'll probably say it a lot more after this, even in this time together, but I saw a lot of balance in view. And I realized something that when we say we do insider focus and we swing to outsider focus, what we're saying is, is that we are being focused on discipleship or we're being focused on outreach in the gospel. Yeah. And, and for so many years and in so many discussion circles, whether we do it actively or subconsciously, we are putting those two things in direct competition with each other yeah. direct competition with each other and i and i think you brought it out too i think i do think it's subconsciously a lot of times because i don't think any church is trying to follow jesus it's like no we don't want to outreach absolutely and no we don't want to disciple people like we you want to do both but you it's almost like you subconsciously bend yourself one way or the other maybe even based off personality and all of a sudden you get in this weird either it uh, we four no more or you get in this like we don't care if you leave because we got more people coming through the door i like i don't know yep it's a both end right you either yeah. care so much of, and, and the other way of looking at it too is you either care only about the front door of your church or only about the back door of your church yeah. uh right and so who's coming in versus who's going out we don't care who goes out we just care who's coming in or we don't care if anybody comes in we only care if they leave yeah 
Um, and so that both of those are dangerous mindsets to be in. And I will say this, I, I, I want to give the benefit of the doubt to so many people, but there is, and I have interacted with it and I've been at churches where what we just said of, I don't think that there's anybody, there are some people and I've, I've been at churches where they've literally looked at me when I've said, we've got to care about people for the sake of the gospel. And they've, uh, people in the church or even on staff have looked at me and gone, that's just not who we are as a church. And somebody else can worry about saving them. We're not, we're not going to be concerned about that, which is, which is deeply unbiblical and and breaks my heart as a pastor when we say that just as equally as it breaks my heart when somebody says yeah we're just not really about pouring into people into them growing in scripture being uh, you know uh, finding biblical community being a self-feeding uh, you know follower of christ who's diving into god's word for its depth and richness uh, and all, like yeah we're, you know, we're just not about you know it's this is where i'm going at it's both and biblically speaking it is not one or the other and it is balance. And the one thing that you and I have talked about before, Tim, is balance, I think, gets a bad rap yep. um, just as a concept, even in modern society, because, uh, you know, it can have all kinds of things tethered to it. But uh, to be clear, balance is not a destination um, that you're just going to attain. It is a constant fight. And the reason for that is, is that anything in your life that's in balance is two perceptively opposing forces being brought into equal amounts of tension against each other perceptively. So this could be right, like work at home life balance, right? Work by its very nature, what you're doing is a good thing, hopefully, as you're working is under the Lord and, and trying to provide for your family maybe. But at the same time, uh, loving your family with great intentionality and leading them well also matters. Like, they're both significant. They're both necessary, but neither one should be, you know, at the expense of the other in such a way that you are thrown off balance, right? Yep. You can't just be like, well, here's the deal. My family matters, so I'm just never showing up to work because I'm only going to invest in my family. That sounds real great at face value. You also now are homeless like because <laughs> you like you have to we're in a society that you have to work and everything. And it's a biblical reality that came into effect. Now, unfortunately, it was primarily do the fall and that's a whole nother conversation but uh you know we've got this toiling that we have to do that's a part of this human experience and even in that we can glorify god through it as scripture says right so it's that yeah. balance that's brought into effect for me that that when we were having that conversation i think even maybe for the first time or maybe it was you know we had processed it and so i had time to think and then i started talking about it with you and when you made this statement that balance isn't like free of tension it's like everything's perfect now it's there is a tent if you're trying to be balanced you are feeling a tension that was thought altering for me where i went oh that's why i feel i guess you could use the word stressed i'm feeling the stress of balancing these two things and making them work according to uh scripture according to jesus and so that that was mind altering for me yeah oh yeah i mean one of my greatest tensions in leadership that i have that tension is that the the uh, the seeking balance is creating like for example like a healthy staff culture. Mm -hmm. well, here's the problem: your staff is made up of uh, deeply selfish, sinful people because they're people. At the end of the day, right now they're all well intended and they're all people who are hopefully, if you're doing things right in your in a church setting, they're all saved, and, and therefore they have the Holy Spirit in them and they're seeking sanctification. But they just like Paul do that moment all the time where they go, I do that, which I do not want to do. Like I, I, I struggle and my flesh is, is, is a pull point, even though I'm being renewed daily, even though I'm offering my body's living sacrifice, uh, you know, uh, even though my mind, it's very self is being transformed. That's all good, but I'm still going to have struggle points. And so the tension that I feel when I see issues in our, 
you know, trying to bring that staff culture in this perceptive, ideal, utopic setting. Great. The problem is, is you've got sinful people in that. And there will always be a tension between perceptively uh, God glorifying staff culture and self glorifying, you know, uh, pursuits. And so, yeah, tension. So same is true in church. It's absolutely no different. And so you've got this deal of, okay, gospel good. It's the mission of the church, right? We're supposed to be the gospel, live this out. Um, discipling people also part of that mission. And so we're supposed to do that. So discipleship, outreach, and, and, and all that plain role. So how then, how do we bring it in to balance? And so as I started to you know look at this, a number of things began to bubble the surface, especially as I looked at other churches and what they were doing and the landscape of the world at large, let alone uh, how it's been historically. So I'm going to share this on the screen. This is this is the uh, kind of thing that has come of this, if I can get it to work. This is the framework. This is the framework, <laughs> Timothy. I will never make that mistake again. <laughs> Good. How dare you? <laughs> Here we go. All right, let me know if it comes through. It is up. There we go. Bingo. All right, so there it is. This is what I call a framework for a transcendent church. Now, out the gates, you see that word transcendent. And so what I need you to know is what I mean by that. Transcendence is not some uh, theological charismatic term that I'm, I'm bringing to the table here, all right? It, I, what I'm simply meaning by this is uh, a transcendent experience, meaning something that is beyond our human uh, you know, faculties and capacity, uh, namely interacting with God. Like we want to, uh, you know, have a uh, God interaction in our lives at any given moment. I mean, the most notable, of which being that initial movement of God in our hearts that drew us to him and results in us becoming Christ followers. And then for the rest of our lives, we are seeking to interact with God because of the bridged gap that we have in it through the sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so that seeking him is an indefinite reality with the culmination of it being glorification of being in his presence one day, right? Like that's the goal. And even in our current context, we're supposed to have a heavenly perspective thinking about that, let alone experiencing it in a diminished fashion today. And so transcendence is a integral part of the Christian experience, let alone the, you know, pursuits of ecclesiology of the church like we're supposed to desire to interact with god and so that that should be the most important thing and i noticed that what it occurred was is that in all honesty neither one of the things i just described really tried to prioritize this strangely enough the insider model didn't really do it um there were moments that certain churches uh, we're touching against this in reference to the, uh, you know, the 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 outsider model or the you know attractional model, but nobody was really functionally going. Okay, but how do we prioritize this? Like, what are we actually doing? We just had moments where it would happen, and we go, "That was cool," and God really showed up today, but there was no functional follow through on like, okay, but but like, what what did we do to to actively usher people into the throne room? Like, what did we do to be a part of that? And, and I mean that holistically, not just in like communal worship, but in, uh, you know, uh, our, our discipleship environments, in, you know, instances of prayer, in, uh, you know, the way we're interacting with our community, all of the above. 
Uh, and so that's at the, the, the center. And, and what I saw in churches that were working is this was a common theme. That, and, and so what you had was is you had, um, if you want me to get real kind of uh, on the fence of a little bit of controversy here, uh, <laughs> if you looked at uh, charismatic churches who, uh, you know, you're talking uh, non-denominational or assembly of God or something like that, who were doing the more attractional model church, what they began to do is they went, okay, some of the theological things that we're enacting here that we get a lot of you know scrutiny for are you know like public uh, speaking in tongues and all that all the like is really not engaging new people in such a way that are like oh yeah I'm for this like they're walking in and going this is a distraction which you know <laughs> see they're there First Corinthians just go to it but uh, the the they're dealing with that tension but weirdly enough for reasons I still don't understand. So would love to be in a conversation with somebody who's done this and kind of understand why they did. They pull back on it. So you saw in churches less and less. So for example, go to early Hillsong. Uh, we're talking like 90s Hillsong uh, and whatnot. And they were busting out tongues on stage and stuff left and right without a without a thought. And it is sparse that you see anything like that at play later on and into even the the, the, the day since uh in in all kinds of places like that right so you had that but on the other side and this is where i'm going to do an equal uh opportunity offender here <laughs> on the other side you had like the baptists that were doing this and the baptists were afraid of the holy spirit if we're being real right they're like well we just can't you know we don't talk about the holy spirit a whole lot and stuff because people can get a little crazy and they could start talking about these things and Maybe, you know, maybe somebody might actually get healed. And I don't know how we feel about that. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, you know, it, all this kind of stuff got weird. And so what I'm getting at is, is that people were afraid or way too hyper-spiritual about potentially this idea of transcendence. And as with all things, here's my word again, balance is in view, right? So let's, and so we need biblical, and that's the key word there, balance when we bring to these things. And so I noticed that the churches that had even a charismatic theological backing or a you know more conservative Baptist theological backing, that the ones that were seeing a lot of things working were doing things similar in that specific regard, which I found to be interesting and of note. Mm -hmm. And and so I was looking at that. I was seeing that at play and, and seeing how they were just wanting people to experience God. They wanted people to experience God. And the way that they were doing this, and I'll get to it in a bit when I talk about transcendence, is they wanted to remove any obstacle between someone and experiencing God. Uh, and, and so I'll get to that in a bit of, of, of what I mean by that. But so that's one piece. And it's the most important piece is that that transcendent piece. But what I also recognized in seeing all these other areas is that there was a lot of specific things that were always at play in both models. So here's what I did. I said, let's not look at both models and go, they're bad. Let's look at both models in way of that insider versus outsider mentality and ask what's good. What, what was great about these? What was biblical about these things? And five came to the surface, uh, relevance, uh, missional, transcendent, relational, and systematic. And, uh, in all this, uh, biblical foundation was key. I mean, it's, 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 for lack of better terminology, foundational, <laughs> uh, right? For us as, uh, you know, church leaders. And so this biblical foundation matters more than anything. And, uh, you know, I would say that we, even in, for the attractional model, a statement that became very wildly popular and still is in some circles to this day is something that Craig Rochelle said, 
which here, man, I have utmost respect for Groeschel, and I think he's really inadvertently doing a lot of these things well now, and there's any number of shifts they've done in their model. But he would say, and they probably still do to this day, that we will do anything short of sin to draw somebody in uh, to you know the church or to faith or all that kind of stuff. And I, while I understand what's meant there, and I think it's very pointed, and I've even said that previously. We even said that as a church previously. Um, I think that the problem is, is that the statement is a little bit overly edgy for the sake of being for, for the sake of making a, a perceptive point, which is, hey, you know, disconnected people need to matter and and we're going to do whatever it takes to reach them. We're obviously not going to sin, but we are going to do what it takes to reach them. And that's good. That's that's admirable. That's biblical. But it's been misconstrued in a lot of ways. Like, right, Michael Todd used that statement when he was justifying what became that Easter fiasco from about a year or so ago. Like that literally is what he quoted in his justification for what he was doing. And it was a misunderstanding and misrepresentation of the original heart, right? So the original denotation of what that meant had shifted in its cultural connotation within the church at large. And so I say all that to say, we ask the question, fundamentally, what does scripture say? And we're doing nothing that doesn't align with that. That's first and foremost, right? So it's not that we're going to do anything short of anything or anything like that. We're going to do whatever it takes to be biblical and use that as a foundation to build all these other things on, even in the way we want to be relevant to people in their lives. So you got biblical foundation. That's the single most important thing uh, when it comes to the foundational elements of what you're trying to build. And then the, the ceiling up there on the image is balanced leadership. It's so balanced leadership is why we saw so many instances of churches just blowing up in size, but then these huge fallouts happening and, and any number of issues to come from it, whether it be due to you know, instances of infidelity or just like tyrannical narcissistic bullying and just all kinds of crazy stuff. And why it's just, and that's a whole nother presentation in of itself of which you're well aware that I, that I go real into the pain on, but balanced leadership is, is four things being present. And it's interesting enough, uh, really you can qualify and determine where you're at with it as an individual based on your personality. And that's tethered to the disc tests or all that kind of stuff. But the four things as it applies to balanced leadership are, uh, competence and charisma. Uh, and then you've got character and care. And both two of those being the internal manifestation of that, right? So competence and character being internal and charisma and care being the external expression of those things. And having all four of those in balance matters significantly. Um, and it takes grave accountability um, and discipleship within oneself to ensure that's the case because you are pre-wired based on your personality and upbringing to be predisposed to some of those and have massive blind spots in in regard to others. And if you don't you know, walk in intentionality there, you're in trouble. And so I say all that to say a very unfair reality that I've had to come to grips with, which is a living nightmare for me in the role I sit in in our church, is that the highest level of leadership, the highest level of leadership is what sets the ceiling for your organization as a church. It's why Paul consistently has to say things like, follow me as I follow Christ. It's why scripture speaks to the idea of like, beware those of you step into a role of teaching because you'll be brought into stricter scrutiny. It's why the prerequisites of, you know, eldership and whatnot are so incredibly rigorous. Like all these things are big because you set the tone and the, the cascading culture that comes from you and what you are living, embodying and functioning as 
is, is what will then trickle down. And respectively, and that's why you got to be so intentional with staff culture and leadership development, that very thing will either be A, amplified and, and lived out in those next tiers of leadership, or it will dilute over time. And so you've got to keep a good pulse on that and make sure that that is not just being adhered to properly at the highest level, but also at every level of an organization, no matter how small or how big it is, which means that's takes that the, the more you scale your organization up, the more intentionality you have to have in ensuring that that culture is is maintaining. Uh, uh, because both of the what were you about to say to him? Yeah, I was gonna say I'll just speak to on the balanced leadership. I'll share mine. Uh, I have a natural, I'm natural on uh, character and competence. I've had to work on uh, charisma. That's gotten better, but my I would say my weakness is care, and I've had to be incredibly intentional and have people really lean in so that I become much, much better and focus on because I'm task oriented. I'm not necessarily people oriented. And so I, yeah. I got to pay attention yeah. to it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you had like a formative sermon this past year where you pretty much were like, Hey, so here's the deal. Um, this is about to be pretty much free therapy for me as I layer before you some idols in my life that I'm needing to deal with. And they aligned with that. Didn't they? Like that was like the thing that they aligned with is that care piece and stuff like that. And uh, you even had family members looking at you after that going, hey, um, something's different about you. Like yeah. something has changed. And it's that assessment of that thing and bringing those things into balance, right? Yep. Um, and I would say this. I'm going to just pause and encourage you in this moment. Like yep. to see you acknowledge those things within yourself and and actively fight to de develop and, and implement those has resulted in you being a just, you know, exponentially greater leader over the course of the years I've known you. It's been crazy to watch how cool that's happened. Because um, even if when you talk about the charisma side of things, um, you know, we don't like to admit it, but having a, a ability to, hey, look, I know how these scriptures work. I've studied them, but now I'm going to, in a very convincing, vision casting, conveying it in an effective way with charisma in the way I'm preaching it, that that that's charisma. Any way you slice it is, is presenting that, that you know about scripture in a very effective manner. You're dialing that up has gone just exponentially in the last couple of years, right? So for each of us, if we don't have that, we're in trouble. Uh, and let's be real at the end of the day, that's also discipleship. <laughs> like that's what that is. It's being formed to be more and more like Jesus daily because we believe that Jesus would be a perfect balance of all these things, right? Yeah. Yep. And who he is. And so we're seeking to be that as well. So you've got those, right? And so you, the ceiling matters, the floor matters, the foundation matters. And then you've got these five things that exist within this framework. They all have to be in balance. Uh, now, what I realized as well, whenever I layered these things out, is that four of these things, interestingly enough, bring people into your church. They're the front door to your church. And four of these things uh, will keep people in your church, or it's the back door of your church. And you know, we'll get to it in a second, but obviously that means that three of those things have overlap. Yeah. And, and we'll get to why that's more significant here in a second. But So let me roll through them. Um, relevant is a pretty straightforward one. Um, but at the same time can be something that has a whole lot of different, you know, ideas of what that means. Yeah. And, you know, relevance is not like, Hey, how cool, hip or awesome is your church? It's is your church. Does it look like and function as if it exists in the same community and same century or even decade for that matter of the community it exists in? Like, that, is it relevant to it? Are you in the way you preach and teach speaking to things that are very real and applicable to the lives of the people who are in your church? Or is it not? And are you not speaking to those? Are you 
are you adhering to and using technology in an effective way to reach your people? Because guess what? Technology is not your enemy. God can use those initiatives in such a way to bring people in. I mean, I can't begin to express to you the ways in which uh, you can you know, implement those things. I mean, here's a great one. This is a crazy one. And, and I heard it not too long ago on a podcast, and we're, gonna, we're, we're kind of toying around with implementing it. You can take technology and do keyword search stuff to where uh, you know, you're doing your advertising, right? So stop doing you know, handout mailers and stuff. Mailers you know, statistically don't really work at the same level that they did before. Uh, all the other things, tracks, tracks are not working. They have stigmas tied to them. They're, they're viewed as cliche. Like, so send you know, uh, online uh, advertising deals. And here's the crazy part. Because of the way the internet works, you can choose keywords and whatnot to determine what's happening. So hear me, what you're thinking of naturally as a person is, okay, well, I'm going to put in churches in Edwardsville as like the, the keyword I want, want them to get. No, do this instead. Put pornography as the keyword that they look up. Put local bars or something like that. I don't know. Put anything that could be a vice in someone's life and put that as the keyword that's tethered to your church. And it's literally like, hey, looking for pornography? You want to try Jesus instead? Go to Metro Community Church. Like, right? So you can like literally use that in a moment and hear me. Not only is that just sounds kind of goofy when I say it out loud, but you understand how intense that is in a moment when somebody knows they're stepping into something that probably is not the best and they have this like, boom, that, and this is where it's crazy. That becomes a transcendent moment for them. We're like, I think God may be telling me something right now <laughs> and I need to step into this. And the answer is he might. He might be using that to really have a person step in for the first time. So, right, so relevance and approaching uh, you know, church through the lens of the world it exists in, not from a worldly perspective, mind you, obviously not. Biblical foundation, remember that, that's always at play. But the church has always, always been a thought leader and a foundational force within the construct of the world it lives in uh, for the betterment, for working unto the Lord, for the, for the glory and worship of God. I mean, if you even go back and this is where it's so crazy to me. We're, we feel so behind in things in relevance in a, in a modern world. But if you go back, man, I mean, just go to Europe and do a cathedral tour and see yeah. how like Christians were at the cusp of just mind-boggling architecture and art and, and development. And you just look at all these things. And man, that Christianity was the thing that was like banner flag. Like, yeah, we're just stepping into it. And so that level of like, let's, prioritize those things for the glory of God. It matters. But here's the issue. What? Sorry. I was going to say, I'll even layer this out even within the context. So we're a multi-site church. And I would even say, because this is a framework and not a model, even our different campuses that are in different locations, we may filter even um, an element of a weekend a little bit yep. differently because yep. we're capturing the heartbeat of our local community, not just, well, this is what we're doing. So you have to do point one, two, three. Like it's, it's no. This is how it would land with my people. And so we still get there filtering it through this framework. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's literally so that a great, yeah, great example, right? So the way we have two campuses, um, physical location campuses. And so one is in a decidedly like suburban bedroom community to St. Louis. The other one is almost an hour further east out into the, the country. And so there's a, a much more rural framing to the culture out there. Literally, we have to make decisions on when we implement events 
based on when the crops are coming in. Correct. Like, yeah, like Tim will look at me and be like, hey, Seth, that's a great idea. I will have no one show up because all the farmers are going to have to be in the field for that time. And that's an absolute legitimate thing for us to deal with. So, like, we can't just be like, we're Metro Community Church Edwardsville, parachuting into Vandalia. Like, bah, bah, bah. <laughs> like, you're welcome, Vandalia. Like, that's absurd. Like, we have to walk in there and go, okay, well, what does this look like? in the context of the actual community exists in. And that's relevance. It's relevant to the community to which the church exists within. Uh, and so that that has to, to matter um, in the way you're, you're going about it. But the, here's the interesting part. That will get them there, but it's the only thing that also won't keep them. Why? Because you can't be so consistently relevant that you can maintain people. For everything I've said numerous times over already in this discussion is the idea that the world will always outpace you. I mean, I think there's some years, as I said, that maybe we even were ahead of the game. But because of the onset of technology and the speed at which the world is developing, you out of luck. And just when you start talking about the you know post-Christian dynamic of the culture itself as well, it's just really affected the ability for Christians to really be at the cusp of that. That doesn't mean that I don't think that any number of Christians outside of the church sector shouldn't be striving to be pace setters in that regard. It's just it's it's much less likely for the church itself as an institution to be the banner flag of that on an ongoing basis to the point that it's just this natural draw. And at the end of the day, that isn't the draw biblically or otherwise of the church anyways. The power of God and the gospel is, which is what leads to this idea of transcendence. So next step in that, then missional. So missional is a huge piece. And missional both brings people and it keeps people. Why? Well, because the missional element is the idea of, hey, are we a church that disconnected people when they walk in the, you know, in the church? And by disconnected, I mean people who church hurt. They've never, you know, stepped into a faith conversation or anything at all. They're questioning, you know, God, maybe. Maybe it's a person who uh, they're disconnected from a lens of they've never, no, excuse me, not never. They've been a part of a church. But that church, uh, you know, dried up and, it, and maybe it closed. And now they're trying to disenfranchise and trying to figure out where they're going to land for any number of reasons. They're disconnected to a church. OK. And so those people, are you thinking of them and assuming they're in the room and making sure that they're prioritized? A big piece that I've always loved uh, that the CEO of Starbucks, Starbucks, Starbucks uh, <laughs> and the founder used to do uh, is that he'd put two chairs in the room, empty chairs in his board meetings. And one was for the consumer and one was for their employees in their stores. And he said, we're going to advocate for these people in this meeting because they're not here to advocate for themselves. And so the, the heartbeat of what is missional when you're thinking of it through the lens of the, within your walls is you have to constantly cast the vision to yourself, to your leadership and to your people that these individuals matter. And we're going to think of them and prioritize them in the way we do things because they not only are not here to advocate for themselves. But beyond that, if they don't have the Holy Spirit in them, they're not saved, they don't even care nor want to advocate for themselves. And so it matters that we are missional in our mindset of what we are doing and how we are going about it within our walls. Now, that also matters outside of walls. One thing I say all the time is, is nobody cares how much you care about Jesus until they know how much you care about them. If they ain't got the Holy Spirit in them, there's no tether point to that. So you have to look at them and go, I'm going to step into very real physical needs in your life because I recognize that far deeper there's a spiritual need that you need in Christ Jesus. And so you have to be on mission and in your community 
And hear me, your people and the community at large want to see that. I, I was either reading or listening to something a couple of years ago, and I'm, I've shared this with you as well, but I was terrified when I heard this. And it said, hey, if your church disappeared tomorrow, would your community even know or notice or care? And I was terrified by that because I didn't know the answer. And honestly, if I was real honest, I think I did know the answer, and it terrified me that much more. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is, is that we as a church were great, great at reaching disconnected people in our walls. If they showed up and we had done things in such a way they came, and they did, then we, we connected with them. Internationally, we have, and to this day still have, fantastic, incredibly intentional partnerships. But from a local outreach perspective, and even regional for that matter, we had nothing. Um. And so we had to really shift our intentionality there so that our community, uh, both around Vandalia and around Edwardsville, understood we care about you. Not because we just generically do, but because Christ calls us to. And that what, that's what it means to be a Christ follower, is to care, is to pour out, because we want to step into those needs uh, for the sake of the gospel. So missionals, were that, and all that draws people in. If they see you doing that, they're going to come in. They want to be, they're like, that's the kind of place that I want to be associated with. If I'm giving money to that place, it's the kind of place I want to know that they're actually giving to things that matter. They're not just hoarding the money to themselves in some way, right? Uh, so we had to shift massive amounts of budgetary intentionality and funds towards that uh, and continue to do so. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the crazy part was, is when we walked in faith in that, we saw God step in and have our people give money on record breaking levels towards outreach initiatives. And still our budget did not go down. It ended up going up. So like we had initiatives where we, as you know, we do like end of year giving and we just had, but the last two years, we've had just like record-breaking stuff and all of it going outside of the church. And then still the budget is, is growing as well. And we're like, and one year in particular, we were doing rough on budget up to that point. And I was like, I don't know that we need to go quite all into all this, like, <laughs> out, you know, given. And, and God was like, hey, how about you just trust me? I was like, fine. Uh, and so like, boom, like record that year of that. And it's just, he, he shows up. And then beyond that, when you put people on mission and they feel like they're a part of something greater than themselves, serving in your church, serving in their community, going to the nations, guess what? They feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves and they will stay to be a part of that. So yep. it keeps them. Now, I think, I think the other uh, budgetary thing that's just funny to me is that within our budget, we have made massive adjustments in this, but uh, normally the pressure of managing a budget is to stay under the number. And I think it's funny that the guy who oversees our outreach ministry feels the pressure of making sure it all leaves our walls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, a, that is a great one. Yeah. We're like, hey, get it out of here. What are you doing? Like, send it to all the peoples. Uh, right. Yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's a good tension to have. Um, I love it. Um, transcendence. I, I've hit it. It's the bread and butter. It's the heartbeat of all this. It's what everything is moving towards is we want people to interact with God. And here's the deal. It will both draw people and keep people. When, you, when they walk in your doors, if they experience God, they will leave and they will go to their friends, their family, their coworkers, whatever, and they'll go, I don't know what to tell you, but if you come to this place, you'll experience God. And if those people show up and they experience God, then guess what? They're going to come back. They're going to stay, and they're going to go tell other people too. It is the single most catalytic, and for us, has been the single most catalytic thing for drawing people into our church and having them remain. Why? Because he's the answer. Like God is the, like Jesus and the fulfillment of what he brings to our life is the answer. And so if you can effectively funnel people into that with grave intentionality 
and remove every barrier they have from that, then, man, you can see stuff happen. Now, I can speak at length as to all the intentionality we mean by that, right? So for us, that means it's not manipulation. It's not choosing the right chord to strum at the right emotional <laughs> moment. It is fiercely authentic is at the front end. Um, it's the idea that we uh, pursue excellence, but we embrace blemishes, uh, right? We're going to do everything with excellence, meaning we're going to like, if your spiritual gifting is in singing and worship, then we're going to prioritize you being in that kind of a slot and not another slot. If your gifting is, you know, uh, teaching and leading, then we're going to prioritize you being in a small group leader position and not some other random one. We're not going to put somebody on a stage who can't sing. Not because of anything other than the fact that that's obviously not how God has gifted them. And if you put somebody up there who's like, praise God from whom, like, guess what? You've created a barrier between people and them interacting with God. Why? Because it's distracting them. It's throwing them off. And you see instances of this all throughout the New Testament of Paul and others going, you've got to remove any distraction from people experiencing interacting with God. It's not about distractions. It's about him. So make sure everything you're doing is doing that. And hear me. Sometimes the distraction and the thing in the way, and this is a, a pointed thing, <laughs> is you. Is the thing we always say, and everybody who comes up to me, and I say this all the time, and I don't, it's not lip service. They'll be like, hey, man, just, I mean, God's just moving to this place. Thank you, Seth, for what you're doing. Like, they give me that kind of just opening, like, compliment to me or something. Like, I had anything to do with it. And, and that's what I do. I go, man, I'm just trying to get out of the way. And let God do his thing. And that's the honest, the goodness, truth. I, he doesn't need me. He does not need me. But I'm incredibly blessed that he can and wants to work in and through me as he wants to work in and through all of us. And so I just want to be faithful to that. Get out of the way. Be a balanced leader and just let God do his thing. I mean, I said it at our end of the year review as we were just celebrating these crazy numbers and what was going on. And we said, um, okay, uh, wow, this is crazy. Amazing, something to celebrate. But what could be the most dangerous thing for us as a church is if we get to a place where we are crazy enough to think that we had anything to do with it, meaning that we caused all this movement of God. We elicited all of this growth and development, and salvation, yada, yada, yada. We didn't. Uh, God did. And we have to acknowledge and, and recognize that uh, to, to be the case. Um, and so uh, with that in, in view, we, we have to prioritize this above all else. It has to matter. It doesn't mean so like in the old, you know, uh, it's kind of ironic to say old now, but the attraction model, right? You just didn't say anything that would be perceptively biblical or theological. Don't be afraid of that. You know, like you want to talk about sanctification? Talk about it. But hear me. Don't just assume everybody knows it. Right. Teach and bring people along. They appreciate that. Um, you would talk about transubstantiation and tell people what that is or isn't meaning, well, how that uh, function in the church versus consubstantiation or something like that, right? Like talk about it in a lens of explanation and disciple them, bring them along, teach them well. Now, the thing I would say that you got to be careful of is avoid, and this has still been the case and was in attractional, but it's something that's very guilty of an insider model is don't create churchy cliches, yeah. right? Like steer yeah. clear of that. Uh, uh, prioritize what is biblical theology, uh, stay away from what is churchy religious cliches, right? God opens the window. He closes the door, but he opens the window. Uh, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Yes, he does. He gives it to me on a weekly basis. <laughs> same uh, here, same you know, here. Right? Like, I mean, I can go to this, like, you know, uh, what's, a, what's a, uh, you know, 
God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Uh, you know, like, hear me, that's been rhythmically programmed into church people. But when you walk in and people just start chanting that in like a, a church setting, they're like, yeah, I think this is a cult. Like, I don't even understand what's happening right now. Uh, I'm on fire. We're on fire for God in this church. Like, we're lighting people on fire? Like, what do you mean by that? Exactly. Like, I, my understanding of fire in the Bible of little bit, if I'm a non-believer, is probably hell. And so what do you, like, in that, like, a bad thing? Like, what do you mean you're on fire? Uh, what was another one? I got in trouble one Easter. I was on staff at a church. This is the one I was going to bring up. <laughs> yeah, I was on staff at a church. I'm greeting people at the, the entry. Like, I'm an ordained pastor in this church. And it's Easter Sunday. Guy walks up to me, shakes my hand, and he goes, he is risen. And I go, uh, uh, yep, like, yeah, he sure has, <laughs> like, you know, and I shake his hand. And he grabs my forearm, shakes it sternly, looks at me with great disdain, and goes, he is risen indeed. And then he walked away just angry. And I was like, what just happened? And what I realized was, as I began to ask people, is that is a very common and certainly in that church was a rhythmic, like you say that on Easter, like you do this, you're supposed to just know like this inside reality of when you say he's risen, you say he's risen indeed. Now hear me, there's no such like rhythmic liturgical expression in scripture that speaks to that, but apparently I was supposed to do it, right? Like how, imagine if they'd, he'd gone to some person that wasn't an ordained pastor and done that. And he was, and he was the greeter at the church greeting people in like, how terrible would that be? Right. Yeah. Uh, and so We've got to be careful that we don't layer churchy cliches out because hear me, a churchy cliche is a barrier, but biblical theology is not a barrier. But uneducated people to theology can be if you don't educate them. So, right, so you've got to balance all these things. There's that word again as you're beginning to implement this. So you want to prioritize this. You want to think through your services through that way. And you've already had Travis on here and he's presented kind of how we do that and how we prioritize that and get rid of all the barriers and just go, man, this is going to be about prioritizing, um, leading people to an interaction with the living God. Um, next one, relational. Relational is this idea that's not in any way rocket science. It's guess what? If people have friends and they invite them to your church, then they come, right? So like friend, like word of mouth is and has always been the most straightforward strategy towards uh, you know marketing, let alone church growth. And so if you've got people who have relationships outside of your church and they bring them into your church, guess what? That gets them there. Side note, if people come into your church that either A, have no community, or B, are still looking to expand their community, as truly we all are in any number of ways, and they come in and they find their people, quote unquote, their people, and find what I would refer to as transcendent community, transcendent relationships that we see as the model of what relational interactions are supposed to look like in scripture. Namely, it's supposed to be greater than anything they could experience anywhere else. Then they're going to stay because they're going to go, this is something different. If you have unity of the church that's described throughout the New Testament, if you have the like the Acts church who are just you know selling things to support each other and are giving of each other food and 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 you know clothing and and housing, all these kinds of stuff just to support each other. If you can find that, then guess what? You ain't going nowhere because you go, I've got a support system in these people and I feel cared for. I'm in relationship with them. And and man, it, it keeps them because we all want that. And uh, fun fact relational is one of the only like if a church is plateaued or dying but they're still hanging on i promise you they at least have one of these five things that somehow is still functioning and almost nine times out of ten it's the relational piece yep. they go i have found my people here we've been to church here for the last 40 to 50 years and i just can't walk away from these relationships you're right 
because you came here and found that community and it's keeping you there. Uh, and there's not anything intrinsically bad about that. You found your people. That's great. But we've got to bring balance into view on all these other things, right? So systematics, the final one, it it will uh, it draws no one, uh, and it and it keeps people though. So the only people that systems might draw, and this is just a caveat, is people who were at a previous church interaction of some kind, and there was just truly abysmal systems. And so they were going, when we're looking for a church, we're looking for one that has good systems. But that's that's an exception to the rule than anything yeah. else. But what I'm getting at is this. So here's the kind of my always goofy example I give. Nobody comes to your church because they heard that your bathrooms are really clean. Like they don't show up and go, can I just tell you, they've got hand towels and they even have, they have mouthwash. It's like Chick-fil-A in that joint. Um, like they don't, they don't do that. But I can tell you right now, if your bathrooms looks like they were blown up every single week and it's just foul, rank and disgusting. And it's like seeping out into the lobby. People are going to be like, I hear me. Preaching's great. Worship's great. I think the children's ministry has really, you know, in, in, impacted my child's life. All that stuff. We're we're leaving though. <laughs> like we can like we just can't. I can't deal with this. Like I'm just it's you know, and that's a itemized goofy example. But any number of systems, right? This is the way that you, uh, you know, communicate to your people. This is the way that you, uh, you know, uh, resource your classrooms and your children's ministry space. This is the way that you um, empower, communicate, and. Uh, mobilize your leadership in your discipleship programs like your small groups or Sunday school or whatever. Um, all these things. It's it's the way that you organize your services. They don't feel haphazard and thrown together. They feel like there's actual intentionality behind it. So systems matter. They're 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 key, but they're not going to ever draw anybody in, but they are pivotal in keeping them there. So all this in view, here are the kind of four realities that or excuse me, five realities that we are constantly trying to prioritize um, a, a, as a church. Now, what I will, what I am going to do is stop presenting here. And then, uh, I'm going to present a second image briefly okay. that is, uh, kind of the zoom in on this, right? So here's the, let me t tell me when it's up and going. It's we up. Yep. So the zoom in is those ones that are the three that I told you that both draw and keep people, which means they're the most important. Uh, and there's a reason for that. And this is what I found whenever I was doing the study. And this is just to kind of have a full circle moment back to what I told you was the tension that needed to be a thing to create balance. And that was, I asked the question myself as I developed this framework, okay, but my big tension was insider versus outsider. So where does outreach and discipleship play into this? Well, if you look at the three most important things, outreach is where a missional mindset touches transcendence. It's like that negative space between it's 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 what tethers them together. When like you're on mission, serving people and loving them well, and it's through the lens and with the intentionality of an interaction with the living God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's outreach. Whenever you are going, hey, I want to be in relationship, but in view of God, his word, developing closer to him in the wake of being a follower of Christ, transcendent relationship is discipleship. So that's where it is. So when you find these things all in balance, then guess what? Outreach and discipleship are in balance. And so that's 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 kind of what I'm getting at with all. So that was a incredibly long tirade to give you the whole overall deal. <laughs> um, but at the if you talk to anybody in our team, they're going to give you some version of that with the primary thing they talk about being transcendence and what we're trying to do as a church constantly. Uh, that we we're not trying to get it perfect. Um, and another thing I want to say about this that I think is key 
uh, and I think this has been a problem for the church always, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's what what's the why? Like, what is our true motivator? And I say this all the time, the order of things matters. So what got us here? What do we want to do here? Uh, I would say that if a lot of churches are honest and a lot of church leaders are honest, they would say, well, we want, you know, we want our church to grow. We want more people. And they would give reasons for why that is. You know, more people means more people come to know Jesus and more people in discipleship environments. Um, and that's all well and good. But I think that we get the cart before the horse there. And if we're not careful, if that is our first motivation, it tends to denigrate very quickly and become a very problematic motivator very quickly, even subconsciously. Uh, we, you cannot be motivated by numbers. Um, God in Scripture does not, and we even did a sermon on this not too long ago, he does not qualify success in his eyes, in our lives, by putting numbers on the board and, and perceptively winning or, or succeeding or whatever. He qualifies success by faithfulness. Are we being faithful followers of Christ? Are we being faithful stewards of what he's given to us? And all of this then is through the lens of how do we faithfully steward the people we've been given into a position of being uh, catalyzed missionally as they are also finding discipleship and accountability and and biblical community uh, in this beautiful thing we call the church. And so if we balance all these things out and we live it out with the proper motivations because we are balanced leaders in who we are as well, we ground all this in the foundation of Scripture and walk forward, you get to see and celebrate on the other side because the order of things matters, right? Our motivation isn't the numbers, but I can tell you right now, if you do all this, there, there's a pretty high chance that you're going to see God do some crazy stuff because if the, you're doing it in the right order, you're aligning yourself with Scripture. You're bringing yourself into a, a consecrated state, state of humility and accountability and, and faithful pursuit of God. And if you can do that, and it's real, and it's not just some show, and you're not some dude sitting here talking to another dude just saying a bunch of nonsense that he doesn't actually live out. He doesn't actually – like, if it's real, then you get to see God show up in some incredible mind-boggling ways also side note you put a target on your back by the devil that's just a whole nother issue in and of itself that you know i've been walking through as well like devil doesn't like it when you do when you do this just to be clear and so you also experience a lot of uh a lot of the weight uh of attack and what that looks like uh you know in those regards and and that's an interesting litmus test on hey we might be doing something right (laughs) (laughs) but uh but yeah, man, it's just been the last two years of us really aligning ourselves with this way of thinking has, as you know, yeah. been a just absolute game changer. Um, you know, I, I found this out. I, so this shows how motivated I am by numbers uh, right here. So I was at an event for uh, uh, our local association that we're a part of. Uh, and uh, one of the association staff members came up to me. And he goes, hey, man, congratulations. I said, what, what congratulations on what? He said, y'all's church led the entire state in baptisms last year. <laughs> I didn't know that either. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I literally looked at I was like, oh, wow, that's super cool. Like, I, like, and he looked at me like I had two heads. He was like, what, like, what? Like, what, do you, what do you mean? Like, like I, we're not motivated by that. We celebrate it. 
God celebrates that stuff. There's a reason it's the feeding of the 5,000 and not the feeding of a lot of people (laughs) Um, because it was noteworthy the amount of people that that God was able to work a miracle through it. When you see the, you know, early church in Acts and it says the, the, you know, thousands of people that are coming to the Lord at that time, it gives you a qualifier because that's worth celebrating, but it's a qualifier, not a motivator. Yeah. And that's the key there, right? And so, yeah, I I am, uh, as you're well aware, because you've sat in many of those meetings, I, I am learning those things in real time alongside other people half the time. Yeah, yeah. I've seen you even look at the person on our staff that would know those numbers because it's part of their job. And you're just like, what's the what's the numbers? Like, what does that look like? Is that is that true? Or what? what's, we want to be accurate. Is that even accurate? <laughs> like, I've seen you ask those types of questions. Yeah. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, and he'll look up. He'll look it up real time just to make sure. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I I've seen massive. It's been cool to see um, life change happen, like where we're seeing like second and third waves of either like friends or family or something within both both uh, physical campuses of our church happen over the last two years. It's not. It's not adding numbers like we're not adding numbers we're adding people to the kingdom that are absolutely coming in contact with god and it's been really cool to see it because i've had both sides before right where you may have this awesome discipleship moment but you're like yeah but i think we missed people that also needed to hear this and then i've been in the other side where it's like yeah a lot of people came i don't know what it did uh and and now we're kind of seeing both of this happen where they're, we, I have confidence they're going to be growing in Jesus if they keep sticking around. Like, it's going to be hard not to. Yeah. And I, I would say that one thing you and I have talked about, because, I mean, you know, we're we're two primary seats on the teaching team at our church, you and I are, that we've been having to be overly intentional in how and what we are preparing because we are wanting it. And I, I, I don't know that you and I have actively talked about this, but like the balance that we're having to strike in implementing this reality in how we're preaching even like you know i've been refined i'm not a systems guy as you're well aware you're the systems guy i'm not the systems guy i come to you for systems i don't i don't do systems yeah. uh right and and i've been having to refine the systematic way even the last week or so in the way i preach i've been refining that and and adjusting systematically how i go about that so that i can do these things better uh you know i've been having to think through the lens of how do you, and a lot of people would say it's impossible. And to them, I would say, I, I completely disagree. Um, how do you preach to a person in the room who's been a follower of Christ for 40 years and the person who just walked in who's an atheist? Uh, to be clear, we have all of those in our church. And if your church statistically has any number of people coming, you probably have it too. Even if it's just like 50 to 100 people in your church, you've got some version of what I just described. And so you've got to figure out how to preach to all those people. Um, Jesus did. Like, why wouldn't we? Jesus is literally actively preaching to, uh, you know, Pharisees and people who have the, you know, like huge sections of the Old Testament memorized, all the while preaching to, preaching to people who have zero education, let alone understanding of religious things. And and he is he's balancing it beautifully. So, like, how do we implement that uh, as well? And what I would say is, is that we've got to be relatable. We've got to be authentic. Uh, we have to, and there's a lot of books on the balance of this as well. And some of the books I've read that speak to it are the ones that balance this idea of competence uh, and care, interestingly enough, which tether to that same balanced leadership, but they mean it in a different sense. But it's how are you showing you know what you're talking about, but you're a relatable human who also is right there with the people 
in, in the audience. And, and the books I'm reading on that aren't even tethered to Christianity. They're just talking about how to connect with people from a communicative standpoint, Yeah. let alone how much does that translate when we're going, hey, I hear that you're struggling with this. I'm going to tell you right now, this passage right here, uh, uh, verse six, I don't like if I'm being honest with you, because uh, I, you know, I struggle with that. And I'd really just wish that God would have admitted that one, like taking it out, but he didn't. So I have to work on that. And here's ways I've screwed up in that regard. And hear me, that by its very nature is a deeply vulnerable place to put yourself in as a pastor. Arguably, you've done it even more intense than I have. <laughs> so I was going to say, it, it's, uh, it, if you're feeling tension when you're hearing all of this, know that I have walked this path. I, I literally, so I'll just tell the story real quick. Uh, I, I literally preached on idolatry back in November. Um, so we have a Saturday night service, and then we have two on Sunday from our broadcast location uh, in Edwardsville. And Saturday night, I did not say my idol, and I come out of it. And, and really, my heart was just I like, forgot about that. Yeah. That's right. You, like, kept it in. And then, I like, you, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't say it. And afterwards, uh, our director of operations came up to me, and he's just like, hey, so... You didn't, you didn't say what yours was. Do you like, would you say you have one? I was like, yeah. I did not know that that conversation happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. So I'm telling you in real time right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I said, yeah, I, uh, I do have one, but I go and he's like, why didn't you say it? And I was like, cause I felt like I was making it all about me. I didn't want to make it about me. I wanted to make it about the word of God and just let people work through their idol. And he was like, okay, is that really why? And I was like, yeah, that's, that is really why I, I felt like I didn't oh, so want to even push further. He was like, oh, is that the real reason, Tim? Yeah. Is that it? <laughs> and I, I was like, yeah, I, I really didn't want it to be the Tim show. I, I, I felt like I was going to make it the Tim show and I backed away from it. And he said, he goes, I think everybody was listening and they, they thought that moment was about to happen. And he goes, I felt like the room kind of leaned in and was like, okay, tell us how to do this, Tim. Like, show us. And you didn't. And I was like, well, okay, <laughs> I guess yeah. I need to switch. And so, yeah. he, so like Paul, was Paul, when he was in the new Testament, he was talking about his thorn in the flesh. Uh, Is that him making it the Paul show? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> so he was like, well, so he goes, so are you saying you're willing to do this? I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm willing. I, ha I have it on my sheet of paper. Like I have, I wrote it. I was we, looking right at it. Yeah. I just didn't say it. <laughs> uh, and so if, uh, so anyway, he's like, well, we're going to have to like, we're going to have to show Vandalia tomorrow. We're going to have to go live and all that stuff. I was like, yeah, I understand. If you go back and watch the message that is posted in our archives for that series, I forget what the series was called. Uh, uh, the, the King of Hearts. That's what it was. Yep. It was our if Lordship you, series. Yeah. If you go to metroconmunitychurch.com, go to the King of Hearts series and the one that I'm preaching on idolatry, it's the nine o'clock service. And if you get to the part where I'm about to say it, you hear me say the phrase maybe i'm just uh what how did i say it um something about like maybe i'm oh maybe i'm just being hesitant i'm not talking to the audience in that moment i'm talking <laughs> to the holy spirit in that moment and literally going i don't know if i want to share this right now and then i did and i can tell you uh so if you're a pastor out there that's like man i don't know if i can do this i can tell you the immense weight that fell off of my shoulders in that moment mm. Mm. um and it's changed my life. It changed my yeah. life. Uh, yeah. But it took vulnerability, took authenticity through God's word in that moment. Hey, and nobody fired you. Like, how crazy <laughs> is that, right? Like, I mean, you're right. That's the tension. It's like, if I'm real with people and I process that I am flawed and I don't perceive this like perfect 
posture as their pastor and like i am just this polished per you know yeah what no, like you're a person like you, you do not love your wife every day. Like you're supposed to, you overreact on your kids. Like you say things in traffic. You probably shouldn't sometimes, <laughs> or at least you think them inside your heart, which Jesus says just as bad. Yeah. Um, like, you know, all these things we do, but why do we feel like we gotta be perfect, man? Just be vulnerable, be real, be forthright. And hear me, you can present deep, rich, biblical truths but also do it in such a fiercely practical relatable stance right and so that that hits this idea of right you're being relevant to people's lives but you're also being transcendent what you're pointing them to and and tethering it all to scripture so anyways yeah so in all things we do right there's a microcosm even within preaching we scale this throughout our ministries and what we're doing as a church yep well thanks man appreciate it Appreciate you layering this all out for us. I do think it, it can be life-altering for you as a pastor, for you as a church, um, for even in your ministry. Maybe you're just you're over a specific ministry in a church. I do think it can make a difference, even if you can implement the parts that you can implement within your own context. Yeah. yeah. And I'll say this, too. If somebody is listening to this, and I want to put this out here, we, we, we are not a little c- focused church, meaning right. just our church. We're, we're the kingdom-oriented. So if you're a person who's going... I heard a lot of good things there. You were pretty broad with each of those categories, Seth. I want to know how within this specific area of the ministry we're doing, how y'all are seeing that being balanced and lived out in a functional sense. Great. You just talked a lot of theory. You talked a lot of whatever, and you gave application points here and there. But how does that work? Reach out to somebody on our staff. Like we, we want to collaborate. We want to walk you through it. And quite frankly, we're going to look at you and say this. And it's what I say all the time. We don't assume we have everything figured out. Um, we want to be the type of people who have an insatiable curiosity on how to grow and develop because that's just what sanctification is. We have not made it, nor will we ever in this lifetime. So just as much as you have something uh, that you might can glean from us, we have just as much that we can glean from you, and we want to because if we want to be better, we got to do this together. So please, if you're a person in that regard, um, you know, reach out to your respective uplink within our church who does your ministerial area um, or any number of things. Just reach out, uh, you know, to our website and say, hey, I'm looking to connect with somebody about this. And we're trying to do yes is the answer. We want to connect with you, um, you know, support you in any way. But just understand that's a two way street. So don't think you're calling and you're just going to, you know, leech off of us. I'm going I'm to ask for some information <laughs> and some help from you, too. <laughs> absolutely. We can learn from you wherever you're from. You better believe it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate your time. Your thing, man. Thanks for having me, bud. All right. See ya. I hope that was impactful. I hope that it uh, it made you stop and think, whether you're in ministry or just attending a church, that I, I hope it made you stop and think and consider like, man, like am I thinking through things this way? And you may not use all the terminology we use. You may approach it differently. You may have a different kind of filter that's built on God's word. But if you don't, I think that's a good starting place to start asking yourself some really good questions on how do I do this in my own context, in my own church? What does this look like for us to, to pave the way and take away distractions for people around us to have moments with God? We do mean it when we say reach out to us. We absolutely, we have things to learn. So like we assume that you're doing something that we don't know yet and we can learn from you. And we hope we're doing something that you can learn from us. And so please reach out, email us, get a hold of our office, something. Try to connect with us. We would absolutely make time for you in our schedule to connect and see 
uh, what uh, we can learn from each other. Also, you you probably, if you were listening on the podcast and not watching on YouTube, you probably heard him referencing a very uh, specific graphic. It is on YouTube. I'll try to get it out on the social media, but you can go to YouTube very easily and see the, the graphic that he shows. Um, it is what we use at our church. So uh, we want to make that available as well, just knowing that uh, that is what we use. Uh, so we want to make sure that you you can see that. As we get out of here today, thank you so much for stopping by. If you would, like, subscribe, uh, let your pastor know, let your friends know. Uh, thank you so much for every single view, download, listen. It is, uh, we're slowly growing. I know this is how the, these things work. We're slowly growing. Um, but I can hear people being challenged and encouraged and equipped uh, and educated and empowered. I can I can hear that from people that respond in different ways, whether through emails, uh, social media, or just telling me face-to-face. And I appreciate the encouragement and the feedback that you give with all of that. Thank you, and I'll see you next time.